Hello! Welcome to Why Not Both, the podcast all about how our multiple passions and interests shape our identity and our lives. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I am a musician and therapist in Los Angeles, and I also happen to be your host. This podcast is produced by Laura Studeris, and for this season, we've partnered up with Under the Radar Magazine. If you like what you hear, you can hang out with us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at WNB, the podcast. And if you really, really like what you hear, please support us on Patreon. We are under Why Not Both podcast. When you join our Patreon, you get a whole bunch of really cool behind the scenes stuff and you get to chat with us. And that's pretty awesome. Thank you so much for your support and I hope you enjoy our interviews. For this week's episode, we got to spend time with the absolutely wonderful and enchanting Melissa Oftemauer. I hope that you enjoy our interview. Welcome to Why Not Both, where we are conquering and utilizing technology all at once. Both uh, analog souls and um, technological receptors. I'm into it. Oh my God. I love that. I just looked at my Moog and was just like, can I make that like a tagline that I just stick to it? (laughs) 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 I absolutely love that. Um, I was curious, your publicist had sent along like wonderful stuff about the Pasilica Hudson. And I was like, I actually have so many questions about that, but I was like, I'm curious what you would want to speak to just even like right off the bat about what it is and explain it to, to other humans who don't have a cheat sheet. Right. Um, oh, Basilica Hudson is so layered. It's the biggest life project I've been involved in. I guess second to that was bass player for Hole for five years. So this is kind of my my second major band, but it's so weird and different because it's not a band and it's a gigantic 1880s factory in upstate New York um, on the banks of the historic Hudson River framed by the Catskill mountain range. And it's this very unexpected twist of fate and uh, turn of events in my life where I, I spent a long time on the road with rock bands. And then I had this uh, moment where I fell in love. I was um, in the middle of making my second solo album and I had moved back to Canada after a good chunk in the United States during my rock uh, band days. And then I fell in love with a New Yorker and I said, I'm not moving back to New York City. And he brought me to this area in upstate New York, the Hudson Valley. Mm-hmm. And um, and I had this instant re- re- reaction after touring the world of major cities, but never going to the places in between. Mm. I had a very, it captured me very quickly. These small little cities, in rural areas of the United States. And I had this like, it's as if I'd been looking for a reason to fall in love with the U.S. because I had always sort of had an aversion being born and raised in Montreal to actually an American mother who left the U.S. in the 60s because of the Vietnam War and and, uh, racism and all the things that have always plagued this country. And I'd had this sort of love-hate relationship with the place, and there's and this Hudson Valley region just captured my heart. It was also the geographical in between Montreal and New York City. So we 
landed here as two artists, uh, me as a musician and him as a filmmaker, and completely accidentally uh, fell in love and into this gigantic factory behind our house. So we had bought this little house in Hudson, New York, and in our back, through our back windows, we overlooked this beautiful historic factory that had been sitting dormant for dormant since the 80s. And we had heard that this eccentric man had bought it. Um, he was kind of like a pre-Burning Man large-scale spectacle artist who also had a dream for like community building and part of the Rudolf Steiner kind of collective movements in the U.S. And he, we introduced ourselves and said, you know, would you ever like to bring music or film to this building? It's so beautiful. And it's just this gorgeous building that I, you just, people have to go to the website just to see the building. It's hard to not fall in love with the building itself. And then next thing we know, this very mystical, strange man said that he actually believed we were the next chapter and that he'd had it for a decade and had um, but had a vision for it being this bustling place of the people and uh, arts, culture, community. So he made us an offer we couldn't refuse, and he held, offered to hold the mortgage for this gigantic building. And anyhow, we ended up in 2010 accepting this strange offer to like this one a lifetime opportunity of take this gigantic factory in this industrial wasteland with this glorious historic view wrapped around it panorama of this like rural gorgeousness at the edge of this beautiful town Hudson New York is one of the most historic preserved um, towns in upstate New York and it was just storybook weird of just okay we're going to do it what are we doing with this factory and for the last decade we built um, the simple version of it is it's a platform for independent and innovative voices and arts and culture with a strong environmental act advocacy action component that it is getting more so as the climate catastrophe encroaches. Um, so we've always we went solar right away in the first year. Mm -hmm. uh, we've done a lot of environmental um the Hudson Valley region is one of, is the birthplace of the um, modern day environmental movement. Mm -hmm. Thanks to, among others, Pete Seeger, the folk musician, started a big um, Hudson River, R Hudson River uh, awareness and cleanup in the 60s and 70s because GE had polluted and dumped all their toxins into this river for decades. So it was the first time that a, a serious movement of the people happened uh, to protect the the planet. The first time it had happened was uh, this uh, this Hudson Valley region is also the birthplace of the first documented American arts movement, which is the Hudson River School Painting Movement, um, who were they reacting to the industrial era a hundred years earlier in the 1800s and and going to the land and they are like naturalists and landscape painters. So there's a long legacy of environmental protection here that I was not aware of because I was not up on my world, on my U.S. history. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I was very much like a globe traveling transient. And the moment I arrived here, I became embedded in an American history and I became fascinated by, by 
the Hudson River, which is was the original gateway to all the European explorers. Yeah. So once they hit the coast, it was one of the first gateways inland to the different trade routes, to the exploration of the indigenous cultures. Um, so it's just very like the history of America I can see out of my back window. And it's littered with like the ghosts of the, the native people in this beautiful landscape. It's then littered with like industrial relics of giant power, power lines, dilapidated factories. And, and then the, Hudson, the Amtrak train routes came in in the 1850s and 80s and created all these strange landfills. And so I'm looking at my window right now. And as a Montrealer who traveled the world, who then found herself kind of nestled in this rural, historic, strange land, I've been obsessed for over a decade. And that's what I've been doing is trying to bring like the parts that I loved about my cultural independent um, world growing up in Montreal, um, where I'm sure people who are listening know that Canada has a strong support of the arts and culture. And so I grew up in a very bustling, uh, bohemian, uh, alternative, independent arts culture world. Both my parents were very active in uh, in the political, cultural, and artistic world of Montreal. So I, you know, I always was sad about the U.S lack of little cultural havens you know and then you have big cities like new york and la and chicago that are just you know gigantic and obviously banks own them and real estate developers own them so when you get into the places in between you get into this sort of like build choose your own adventure build your own dreams of independent thinkers and you're away from the corporate strongholds and Anyway, and so what ended up happening is we, we founded this place and our 10 year anniversary was in 2020 and it was marked by a crazy pandemic and we had to shut down and we've been kind of reflecting and reviewing ever since because the world has changed tremendously uh, since 2010 and not just in um, COVID of course, but like, as I mentioned earlier, the climate catastrophe is constantly on my mind, but also, um, uh, social media, digital realities, uh, more and more corporate interests in absolutely everything, every neighborhood, every artist, every industry. So I, I really ended up kind of like burrowing in this little pocket of the U.S. trying to imagine or explore if you can create cultural independent havens. <laughs> I've been trying in one little like corner of town. Um, and it's, it's, it's been a remarkable uh, learning curve of what it is to work on a small scale and what it is to work with, um, with neighbors and communities and small elected official landscapes. And, you know, it's been fascinating and that's what I've been doing. So Basilica Hudson is a multidisciplinary art center in a reclaimed 1880s factory on the banks of the Hudson River in the Hudson River Valley region. And um, our events range from music festivals, uh, artists and residencies, film screenings, green energy fairs, large scale farm and flea markets. Um, 
And it really is all, even though I just said everything about like the landscape of America and independent and corporate interests, but it really is about the building. The building is the muse. Uh, she kind of commands the whole programming. Uh, you really are moved by the architectural grace and the standing power that this thing has stood uh, through all these changing of, of historic moments and, and industries, boom and bust economies all over this kind of upstate region that has been in steady decline for a long time until about now. COVID actually has just bumped this um, development up here, all the, the, US, the New York City exodus, everyone kind of like ran up here. Um, yeah. So it's just a, it's super fascinating. I mean, the land, yeah, it's just endlessly, um, it's teaching me a lot about humanity. So this, this is what I'm doing. That sounds, it was wonderful when you said, and it's not a band. I was just like, oh, that's like a, that's like an Uber band. That's, that's all the bands. (laughs) 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 Super band of multiple cultures and timelines and all sorts of things just coalescing. It's so interesting when you were talking, I was thinking about the power of the places that sometimes we go that unexpectedly might not feel exactly quite like home in the way of like, oh, I'm returning to a home, but home in the way yep. of I'm supposed to be here. And like, how, I love how you said like, like a storybook way. Um, yeah. Where you know that it's like, oh, this is actually where my purpose is right now. Um, and it just like captivates yep. you. You're like, okay, here's where I shall stay. Um, yeah. That's fascinating also to hear about how the building itself and also like the history of the landscape has been informing what you're doing in the space. Like it sounds like it sounded almost like the fortune teller at the beginning of the Wizard of Oz, like own the space. Like that's how I see that person in my mind. (laughs) Mm He's just telling prognostications to Dorothy and she's like, hmm, what now? And then he's like, run home. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I forgot that opening. Well, actually, the the magical wizard-like guy that made us the offer um, to buy the building from him, we had invited him to our house to show him the view of his building from our upstairs balcony. And I remember and, uh, we had just moved into the this house in this town uh, within that year and we were standing on this blustery day and I said look at that building isn't it such a beautiful view from our house and he like literally almost like magic dust came from his fingertips and he sort of like waved his hand across the landscape and said Melissa this is your oracle <laughs> and I didn't know him and I looked at him and I and I, you know, I'm into cosmic, spiritual, psychedelic stuff, so I really liked it, but I did not, I had no idea to what extent he meant that when he said that. Yeah. 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 That is, that's how I imagined him, strangely enough. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> scans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's been, it's been very fascinating, though, to be so, um, landlocked you know well for someone like me who traveled and traveled and traveled and traveled and never had a permanent home since I left the house I grew up in with my family uh so I was just you know it I almost overcompensated and over grounded myself because of um my 
uh, decade plus of transientness. So I almost like I gave my all to a, a location in a building and it's a very kind of strange uh now coming out of a decade and I've always been one to really work in decade chapters um and I'm kind of coming out of it like a 10-year dream of what happened like, <laughs> it was truly like going through a gateway of just go go keep going and then I didn't mention that simultaneously to buying the building I got pregnant and part of the 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 fit there was that I didn't want to be on the road as a mother and I wanted to lock myself. So I built this anchor of this building so that I would raise my daughter alongside it. And I'm coming into this decade of her turning 10, the art center turning 10 and me coming into this uh, decade milestone of both and realizing how and anyone who's been a mother and especially in the first decade it is like this womb like you get lost in this complete like emotional murky survival connection panic isolation (laughs) it's really they're very similar and when I had our when we had our belated 10-year anniversary for Basilica and my daughter's birthday simultaneously Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of my friends said, well, wow, you really have two babies. And they, you know, and I would never want to insult my daughter to do, you know, that like this building is this other, is her sibling, but it really is because it is much bigger than a building. It's been this organism that we've been, I pumped all of my love of traveling the world and all of the things that I've, all the interests and all the the new things I discovered while living here, I had like a palette and a place to, to channel yeah. those things. In. And it's, it's, it's a very, I mean, it's, uh, I'm waking up out of a very intense decade and it's, um it's cool to talk about it uh, from this place and not say like five years ago when I was in the middle of all of it, it was very different. Yes. And that, I love what mm-hmm. you said about how you had, you'd kind of almost like stored up all of, I don't know how to put it other than you'd stored up all of this magic that you'd collected from around the world. You'd been like wandering, mm. seeing all these things and taking all of this in, but then you actually had two places to channel it, which I was like, what a gift to mm-hmm. both daughter and to the space that I was just like, oh, then if you can take all of that and put it into both of those, I was like, that's beautiful. Like that's both are so fortunate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like well, what's so interesting is that at one point, because when we started our nonprofit component, we first started really like DIY, art center, hand to mouth, sell tickets, pay for the staff, pay for the band, you know. But then five years ago, we, um, we, we had been told for years, you know, everything you're doing is nonprofit worthy. You really should consider creating a nonprofit and getting funding for what you're doing. Yeah. And, um, so five years ago, we started a nonprofit, which is a whole other beast in itself. It's very different than like running like a venue or, um, and so we have a board of directors and we have a you know volunteer group of kind of a moral barometer that's keeping uh, a sense of what the initial mission was and what, how we're evolving with the time and what we offer the community, what grants we apply for. So, you know, we have like um, New York State Council's of uh, the arts support our free filmmaking, free film screening series. Our artist in residency is supported by the National Endowment of the Arts. 
So we slowly started getting kind of like art center nonprofity, which is a very heavy load of paperwork, which was <laughs> actually been kind of uh, the tipping point of, oh, wait a second. I didn't know I was getting into art administration. But at the same time, what's interesting is that um, um, we, we had started very DIY and then we like grew and grew. And, and one of my first board members said, in that first year, he said, but I want to remind you, Melissa, you're a creative traveling spirit. And we don't want you to empty that vessel. If you don't keep going out into the world and collecting the inspiration and the work, mm -hmm. it, won't, it will be a disservice to the art center. So mm -hmm. don't forget your creative path. And because motherhood and like nonprofit selfless art centerhood came simultaneously. Mm -hmm. A lot of mothers will know you get, you get into this like tapped out um, accidental selfless, you completely empty yourself. Like, and especially around when child turns 10, I've, you know, spoken to many mothers that like you start like all of a sudden hitting like a burnout thing. So that definitely happened to me and right around COVID and COVID was this incredible reprise of just stop all the events, even though it was right in the middle of our 10 year anniversary year and we had to cancel all of our big celebrations. So it was this gift of quiet yeah. and uh, um, my little family, my daughter and husband took off to a little mountain town in Western Canada to really kind of replenish and mainly to offer our daughter in-person school and a little adventure yeah. uh, because we had been so landlocked um, but I've come back home in a very kind of conflicted place where I realize I actually do have to get back to the creative what you because I'm saying it because what you pointed out I collected all this magic around the world and with all these collaborations and and I just kept giving it to the art center in the best of ways all the musicians I had met along the way all the music organizers and, and like all of our, all of our festivals or collaborations between creative people that I've met along the way and all the bands and artists I've invited. It's just been such a cool way to invite people that I know to Hudson. I also saw it as an exciting kind of a cultural exchange is bring artists from afar to this small town that otherwise wouldn't have these kinds of avant-garde yeah. art happenings. Um, but uh, the the interesting thing now is I, I realize I actually have to go back to the creative magic place so that the next decade can, you know, and you were saying that I had all this magic stuff from around the world that I could give my daughter and my factory. And I actually feel depleted. And I realize that if I, right now, the factory and my daughter kind of have this whole new world of magic of life lessons and, and maturity and sacrifice and challenge that I now want to bring into my work. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to take that and bring it. And so I'm writing um, my memoir. It's, uh, it's, I started a writer's workshop uh, in the middle of the pandemic and it's a year long um, memoir and a year writer's workshop. And I'm reflecting on I also was a photographer originally. I was actually in photo school when I joined Hole and I never stopped taking photos uh, until digital cameras took over. I never have used digital cameras, but I'm 
archiving my um, my tens of thousands of 35 millimeter negatives and going through all of my diaries and all of my correspondence. And I'm starting at the beginning of my creative um, venture and, and coming from the mature sort of tapped out person now. <laughs> and I'm looking at the 20 year old that fearlessly picked up the bass, somehow got myself into a world traveling rock band within a year of committing to music. And I'm looking to her as a teacher to get back into my creative place and fearlessness so that I can build up again, build the magic, the creative energy, the, and give back to my community and my daughter from that. So there it is. That's, that's my whole story. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, for one, that's the jacket of your memoir of looking back at that 20 year old and being like, okay, what does she have to teach me? That's amazing. By the way, to be like one year in to be like, okay, now I'm in hole. I was like, uh, well played. (laughs) (laughs) So seriously, I've been like, kind of like reviewing from here. Like, how did I do that so quick? And how it was just so, oh, it was, you know, and so that fearless 20 year old, and I've actually been, I have a lot, I work with a lot of younger people and I'm definitely like young at heart, older woman. And I've been just excited to tell them, I'm like, you in your twenties right now are going to be your teachers, your teacher in your forties and fifties, like just in like, go wild, be as wild and amazing as you can be right now. Cause your future self is going to need it later to inspire yourself again. (laughs) Yes. And to take, it's so interesting. A friend of mine, um, a friend of mine just turned 30 and I'm, I'm kind of like in that awkward generational stage that I believe they've now called us elder millennials, which like, Oh, okay. Uh Geriatric millennial, the Oregon trail generation. Like we're the, well, you're the semi semi analog, like those who still had a moment or like a mini analog millennial. Yes. Yes. And it's like much like Mm. the beginning of like, um, what did you say? It was so beautiful. It was about like the digital and analog. That was basically, I think that spoke yeah. to me much because that was, that's like my childhood and my experience of just like, oh, you have like, you know, a Betamax VCR at home, but then you're learning how to like type on like the Apple IIe. So it's like, you're yeah. seeing these, like these worlds. Um, and it's funny because my friend just turned 30 and I said to her, I was just like, oh, your thirties are amazing. It's kind of like you have all of the same like weird ideas that you had in your twenties, but you actually have more tools to like activate them. And mm-hmm, she's like, mm-hmm. like, well, how do you feel about like, cause I'm going to be in my forties soon. She's like, how do you feel about being in your forties? And I was like, I kind of feel like it's the time when like my field of fucks will be completely fallow. And that's so exciting. Cause I'll have all the ideas from my twenties, all the tools from my thirties. And I won't care what people think anymore at all. <laughs> like, that's for sure. I'm like, I feel- that is for sure. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm just like, I feel as though we only grow more powerful. Um, it's true. Um, Until our bodies start giving out is the only problem. But yeah. Therein lies, yes. That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. Therein lies the so only that's when the soul, yeah, that's when the soul starts transcending beyond the body and the spirit gets even stronger. You start yeah. letting go of the mind and the body. It's super cool. <laughs> we are very lucky to have this. Um, this short vessel to explore what it is to be human. And it's very radical. Yeah. And it, when you said that about like 
that were in this vessel, it kind of reminded me of when you were even talking about being in the factory and being in the Hudson Valley and like the eras of that space. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's a really interesting parallel that you had then delved into the history of that space and the eras of that space while you're in the midst, like you said, that you're taking this memoir course and writing this memoir. I was like, oh, you've got parallel history things going on there. Yeah, it's fun. The, um, yeah, right. Yes, yes. And it's been very cool to see that relationship between a time and a place, like a geographical location, and then your, your position in it. You're like node in this like moment in time in that place. And yeah, it's very, very, I mean, I guess that's like, what's interesting about being so locked to a location as opposed to a transient person, you kind of watch, it's like watching the tree grow next to you. It's like, you're watching, um, you know, history get manifested on a physical level as well as your conceptual time level. And I'm sure that that must inform a lot of what you talked about, about the unfolding climate disaster and thus the focus on climate justice. Yeah, definitely. I mean, much because I I learned about the history of the area and I hadn't realized that that first art movement was really a a wave of naturalists who were rebelling against the early 1800s industrialization. And then our factory came at the industrial uh, peak of the the following uh, century, turn of the century, and uh, those artists had already been warning, like these industrial factories in Europe are coming, they're going to destroy our American landscapes, be careful. So I've been fascinated that there was an artistic premonition of the industrial disaster. And then came like the cultural movement of the 60s and 70s and the, the, all the social uh, justice components of that generation were born here um, uh, reacting to all these industrial factories that had come to the banks at the turn of the last century. And, and it's just been incredible to kind of just use one place to learn about those movements, which I'm sure are happening simultaneous all over the globe in all the different ways that they happen, but to take a moment and just look at one location and, and unpeel those layers and simultaneously have an art center that you can select uh, those stories to be presented in film or panels or it's really amazing. Um, it's been like a, like a very, like, you know, I said at the beginning, it's not a band, but it's like this really weird version of an arts project collage performance art, very odd um, palette. Like it's just a, it's a strange uh, platform to be working on but it's been and especially as a bass player photographer it's not what I expected (laughs) but it's very much (laughs) very much what I I'm still taking all the same components uh, but this place this time very informed by the location Uh, as opposed to say in my world of rock music I was kind of just taking it from like a female existence and a woman's perspective on love the world, the male dominated landscape of rock music like that. That was my time and space uh, then. And then just plop me in a different place and being a kind of hypersensitive antenna that I am just <laughs> tapped into yep. this thing. 
<laughs> That's yeah. It was interesting that even when you said like it was feminine, I was like, both actually struck me like, and I was thinking feminine in like the Jungian way, as opposed to like the, like men are from Mars, women are from Venus, weird, like night. Yes ice way yeah um, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like the receptive the intuitive like that kind and it sounds like you were able to tap into that in in both kind of spheres and I was like I love that you're open to that in both ways that in like the male dominated rocks mm-hmm. and the traveling sphere you were open to receiving and intuiting what to do next and then you landed here and you were like oh I'm going to do the same thing but it's almost like an inverse location but same reaction yeah <laughs> That makes sense to me. I don't know who, if anyone listening is going to understand, but I totally understand because it's basically like, no, I'm not a bass player, player, I'm just a receiver. (laughs) Like I'm just a receiver and that's, yes, a very feminine situation, not only because of like literally physiological (laughs) vaginal receptives, you know, they're whatever like makes women sometimes have um, a you know literally a receptor that then grows something it's it's definitely um yeah I mean I guess if I really and maybe focusing on that decade of women in rock in the 90s and my magical very uh, fairy tale like arrival into that world it was very very mystical and not at all expected as well but just also very very um storybook um and uh the uh, it doesn't make it in there although i'll definitely be having like a newly informed understanding of that way that i intuited decisions and and locations and how i got to where i was going because uh, i know myself better now but i've also seen it through this other strange lens if i go to another place and i do this completely similar process but a radically different project mm-hmm. um is i would suspect that at some point i will really probably want to hone in and it feels like it's part of like what I was saying earlier of like the soul getting older and you transcending your body and your mind to get to this like more spiritual place that prepares you for death or something not that I'm planning on dying young at all but I I really feel like tapping into what that art form is or that creative process is is something I'd like to be able to articulate a bit more in my life time of like what that is to receive and process um because i feel like as we know like you know organized religion has sort of failed and crumbled for a lot of people and like i've always said music is my religion or my spiritual practice but then i got into like being an art center founder and like the creating the space and the shared experience in person is my my ritual now and is my which is not unlike performing for a live audience but it's sort of like this idea of like what is that sacred space and what process do you get do you take to get there is I think probably what I'm beginning to hone into of what it is that I do and do like almost obsessively or mm-hmm. well enough that I end up like really manifesting real real things in the outside world from it. Um yeah, and it's that yeah. it's that expression of in a way, like my, my brain went, oh, it's an expression of will. Like it's that you're bringing forth something mm-hmm. and that you're receptive to what's coming to you. And that like, mm-hmm. people get really rigid about like what that thing has to be. And I appreciate that you're like, right. 
I am flexible with my ritual for this, <laughs> like that it doesn't have to be. Exactly. No, it's true that, because that logic place of like, I want to be a successful painter or I want to be, a, you know, I, yeah, I, I exactly. That might be part of the, um, the kind of like magic component is the flexibility. And I remember in the 90s, even being more so this kind of like you know, now everybody like makes movies and music on their laptop so everyone can do everything now but at the time when I joined whole and I explained I was a photographer I literally remember report like journalists like well are you a musician or a photographer I said well I'm both I'm anything I'm any I'm everything I'm going to continue to be many things <laughs> like I really didn't like that I was being made into a musician I was like well I went to an art school where I studied visual art performance art i mean i i do anything i i the whole you know and that's when that you know renaissance man or renaissance man. but i always felt very very kind of surprised by even the music the rock scene it's like really everyone was a rock musician it was i always became friends with like the photographers that took our pictures at the or the music video directors because i was just i always saw everything as multidisciplinary i never i just happened to be on a bass and in a band at that time. Mm -hmm. And I definitely have always been a, a, a supporter of multidisciplinary. I mean, and now I feel like the whole world is kind of a multidisciplinary, but I feel like in the 1900s, it was even more rigid of like, mm -hmm. you go to school for one thing or you drop out for one thing and you go self-train as a, I don't know. I think the 21st century and technology obviously being a massive extended tool to everything has really changed that, um, that black and white thing, just like uh, remote working and COVID, like all of a sudden it's like, Oh wait, maybe real jobs aren't going to offices. Oh, right. Maybe I'm a, <laughs> you know, I'm definitely a freelancer. You know, I'm a free, I've always been a freelancer. That's for sure. My parents, but like I was uh, raised by freelancers. So between me going to a like multidisciplinary art school my whole life from grade one on mm -hmm. and my parents being freelancers who never had a boss ever, I was like built for adapting to whatever, anything all the time. <laughs> because <That's>, I, yes. <laughs> yeah. <That's> yeah. <laughs> like I, it's so interesting that you say that because like thinking about being in that cusp generation, there was something that like didn't make sense to me of how to get to like where I was as like a child and a teenager to where I saw that we were quote supposed to be like you said like that rigid like one job one purpose one thing like I had never understood how to and I remember pondering this um like mid high school mm -hmm. people would always ask like you know like well what are, what are you gonna do what are you gonna do and I didn't understand how I would get from where I was which was making music and like the synth lab with my friends and counseling them through their problems and taking pictures and making art to whatever like a desk job was like I genuinely yeah get it yeah. like I was like where does that where do we make that leap and so I I just low-key never made that leap um I never, right. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I, I never did because I, I didn't understand how to even bridge that gap or what it meant um but it was funny because I was I was actually raised by two lawyers and so like I was in oh, wow. government as a kid mm -hmm. of like you know going to the courthouse with them and being at their office and I understood what the job of a lawyer like was but I didn't understand how to get even from where I was even something like that like that even seemed like just like a insurmountable distance to cross um yeah and so, so were they I mean 
yeah, the, the, the environment in which you're raised is like key to how you start relating to how you're going to get there. I mean, that's like a big, I mean, your role models of your parents and their friends is central to like one's, con- you know, conceiving their life decisions. And I definitely, uh, over the years and years, of the interviews about my different chapters in music, I always said that the best, I always declared my parents as two of my biggest inspirations because of how independent and self-directed they were, but also as parents, the greatest thing they did um, was never, ever told me, even suggested what I was going to be or who I was or how to get there. Zero. Wow. It was just complete free reign. Never, ever, like, even asked. Just, I was on my journey. I was my person. And they were, they, you know, they didn't have a lot of money. They were freelancers. But if I said, hey, I'm really interested in photography, my mother would go to a secondhand store and she bought me, like, a secondhand camera. I was like, here, try it. And then I remember saying I really love music. And my father came with me to, like, the pawn shop and get, got me, like, a really cheap bass. And those were like the, that's what my parents did is just listen to what I suggested or wanted and just let me do it myself. And that's like definitely what I have to remember as a mother to my daughter is that um, that sense of being empowered to make your own thing and find yourself and that only you know who you are is so key. And I think that a lot of like the world of like, the narrative that people have like overlay on everyone's life and on their children's life of what well, you have to go to school. And if you don't or go to private school, this, you go to public school, this, like, ugh, just <laughs> yeah. you know, less is more on that in terms of, because especially now the world is insane. The future is so uncertain, so unpredictable and things are moving so quickly that a 10 year old girl might have a better sense of what, what the future is going to be like than we do. <laughs> what I was so curious about is what is it like, like looking through her eyes? Like, what is it like being a parent and seeing all of this through hers? Because like, what a beautiful gift your parents gave you to be able to be empowered and that they would give you the tools. Like, I love that you said they, they listened. I was just like, that's a beautiful skill as a parent because some parents have a hard time doing that. Um, yeah. And so I was so curious, yeah. like, what is it like seeing things through your daughter's eyes, especially now at 10, that's like, she's starting to become a lot more independent and like, I'm like, oh, has she gotten metacognition yet? I love that when, when kids turn preteen and all of a sudden they can think about how they think and reflect upon it. And it's like, you watch them just like skyrocket into like the same kind of cognitive process that adults have. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> like... no, it's very heavy right now. In fact, she's at the office with me right now because um, we're skipping school because she, she doesn't like her new school. We came back from Canada. We put her in a new school, you know, schools have just been crazy for every child out there right now, COVID. And some people moved around, some people were remote, some people, so everything is kind of, a uh, little, very, you know, very weird for children and they're finding a stable and in, easy to engage, you know, and they're still like most of we're at a Waldorf school where it's all outdoors and there's no desks and it's all very like free range wild right now because of this COVID thing. And we, anyway, and uh, 
she's been doing it as best she can, but I decided to take her out of school for the week because she was her will of explaining, you don't understand. I do not like this school. Like I'll try anything else. And, and, um, and I realized even though we have to be in school and we're enrolled in this and we will finish most likely this year here, but giving her a few days to just empower her voice of, because that's really like a small thing like that goes a long way of listen. Because she actually said, you know, on Monday morning when she was crying and she said, you don't care about my happiness. You only care about me going to school. And I brought her to school. And then at noon, I had this flash. I said, you know what? I got to listen to that. And I went to school and picked her up at lunch. She's like, why are you here? I said, because I realized I heard after you left, I heard what you're saying. And and I want to listen more, River. And she said, well, you've never been a very good listener. So thank you. And I said, okay, well, let's take the next few days to really just hang out together. And I'm going to learn to listen better. <laughs> oh, I'm like, what? Yeah. Like kids yeah. are the most brutal call out. Um, <laughs> I, was just like, oh. I was like, damn river. <laughs> yes. Especially because then I'm like, well, let me tell you about when I was in school. Then it's just like, I don't want to hear about your life right now. This is my life we're talking about. I was like, oh, also good point. Okay. <laughs> um, Anyway, it's fascinating. I mean, we've had a couple of good few wacky days because I'm like, well, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do stuff. You're going to draw and play. And and I don't know. But yes, it's a big turning point as a mother at this age, for sure. And especially COVID really, really either majorly held back or pushed forward children in a variety of ways, you know, because of, well, Andy anxiety was just you know, pretty weird. And um, some people were hyper- isolated and alone with their parents and then we had decided to do this great Canadian adventure went to a place with no COVID and she had this not only COVID free like full year as a like normal child enrolled but in a place she had never been and never knew anyone so we had like a full like get to know yourself in a brand new space and full experience it's been and I'm so grateful that I, for my two passports and having made that happen for her. Um, but, you know, it's a very odd time for child development, uh, COVID. Yeah. Well, and also like, it sounds like in a way by doing that, you empowered her to be able to say what she said, to just be like, I know that this isn't for me because then she actually had something to compare it to and was like, exactly. Oh, like, no, this I know. thing is not my jam. Like, and now I know how to articulate yeah. that um exactly it's pretty yeah. cool weird wild responsibility to raise a ch- uh, human being and I can't <laughs> believe I remember when I the first first week I had her I had like woke up in a panic of you know oh my god is everything okay and I realized it should be illegal for just anyone to have a baby because <laughs> this is really wow this is like very high stakes <laughs> when you have a tiny brew tiny tiny being in your house oh my god um, I love how you put that that was <laughs> my uh, my best friend <laughs> has expressed similar things where like even when we are we became friends when we were like 12 and then close when we were 15 and have been close ever since and it's like she always wanted to be a mom and I always wanted to be an aunt and so I was just like great mm. good team <laughs> and like and so when she when she had her baby, 
it was like the same thing. And he's, he's three and a half now. Um, and thankfully like I'm good friends with her husband as well. It's like, we're all very close and they live like 15 minutes away, but it's like, oh, nice. it was so funny. Cause like, you know, helping her out when he was so small, it's like, I'd go over just so she could like take a shower or rest or things like that. And uh, like the first time we actually went out together, um, we went to go get cupcakes and cause those are her favorite. And she just says to me with this wild look in her eyes, she's just like, I feel like a free Julian Assange. <laughs> like she was just <laughs> 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 like, who lets this be a thing? How, how has this ever been a thing? What, <laughs> what, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it's, I had a very, very big heart to heart um, years ago with one of my dear female friends who was on the contemplation of abortion, not abortion. She was calling me as another creative who also traveled with their work and mm. calling to say, I'm really torn. I don't know if I can do it. You know, if I do it, do I have to change everything? And I, and I really like, I, I was aware of the responsibility I had to give an answer that would be of weight in this person who was having a, a very lost, mm. fearful moment of either one, scary to yeah. have a baby, scary to have an abortion, both terrifying. Yeah. And, um, and I really like, I had to remember just going so deep because I love this woman. I wanted to say, give her like the, the closest thing I could to the absolute truth of what it has been for me to be a mother. And I sort of, I just felt like going into the layers, you know, past like the fear, the no time, the, oh my God, the career that you're not doing just kept going and going. And then I went into this like center of my being and felt at that point, I guess River would have been a five years old and mm -hmm. feeling the morphing transformation that is a motherhood. Mm -hmm. And I said to my friend, well, I don't think everyone has to have a baby by any means. And I never, I was never sure I was going to, but now that I do have one, I can tell you the one thing that motherhood does that uh, in a different way than anything else is massive transformation. You will never be the same mm -hmm. zero. Like it just switch, like it pulls you inside out, turns you. And, and I said, I'm not saying that every person needs that transformation <laughs> in their life but it is the experience is complete metamorphosis transformation and i would say that's the one the kind of deciding factor of do you want that do you not want that it's right. like it's like it's very abstract but it's ultimately um and she actually had an abortion and then she had a baby two years later. And now we talk about it much fuller because she feels it. And we're talking about that transformation. It's yeah. really just unexplainable. It's and so terrifying and so hard, <laughs> but so beautiful because it's radical way beyond yourself. You know, it's way beyond what you're capable of doing alone. Yeah. I mean, unless you're like a deep, deep, like plant-based medicine shaman meditator I don't know what maybe you could do that <laughs> I wonder about that because especially when you're my brain flipped back to when you were talking about kind of that transformation that our 
that our soul and our energy goes through as we go through the life cycle. And it's like that where yeah. there are things that bring about this radical change. And some of them are slow, gradual, radical change. And some of them are like motherhood where it's like, it's, it's going to change you whether you want it to or not. <laughs> like it's like yeah. Switch gets flipped. And, and that creative force you were talking about, I did notice that in, in my friend. Go on. It's another, the other metamorphosis is, puberty and now that I have a 10 year old daughter who's not in puberty and I was a very late puberty person and hopefully she will be too uh the later the better the, the more advanced your mind because like what a radical thing to happen then I mean can you remember when your body is like starting to like grow things it's freaky oh my and so God. it's that times like so you're like grow this thing and then you it leaves your body and then you watch it grow and then go through puberty it's crazy um <laughs> But it's super, I mean, it's, yeah, it's very kind of alien. It's a physical transformation thing, which is, again, why I don't know that you could do that through even the most radical, like, ceremonial, plant-based, wild journeys. I don't know that you could, because it's like a cellular level on such a deep scale. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, where are we now where are we we're talking we're talking <laughs> welcome to chatting on why not both with me who has a galaxy brain. <laughs> it's so funny it's so cute when publicists are like so what's your plan I'm like that's really adorable that you think I have a plan that's very <laughs> that's... yeah I was like no, my that's good I have yes <laughs> Like my whole agenda is just, I like to talk to interesting people about things. That's it. That's the whole thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, Perfect. You were saying on like a cellular level, like I was thinking about even how that then informs what you choose to do after you have a child. Like it's fascinating that then yeah, yeah. your focus turned to Basilica Hudson. And also now that there is that transformation on like the precipice of puberty that you're like, I think I'm actually ready to like go back into the world outside yeah. and kind of get, I'm just like, it's, it's like synchronous life cycles, which is really interesting to witness throughout your story. Exactly. It's, it's, uh, and again, that's just, I guess, um, what we were talking about earlier of just being a kind of psychic receptor of let the world, you know, to a point that maybe is bad that I let, you know, I blow, I, I change with the seasons. Like I do evolve. I don't, I'm, you know, it's the opposite of rigid. Um, and that's definitely my kind of specialties, like listening, listening to the messages, shifting, shifting. Um, but I'm definitely on the precipice of the major, major change right now. It's very exciting. Oh, and so is the building. So, so here I am. My daughter is 10, the building turned 10 last year, and uh, tomorrow we're having a uh, groundbreaking ceremony for the Basilica Hudson Net Zero Campus renovation that begins this month, and over the next two years, our 1880s Rough Around the Edges Seasonal Art Center will become a state-of-the-art, all-year-round, uh, fossil-fuel-free, like, spaceship museum art thing it's going to be so exciting we we worked and worked for years and years to get these incredible new york state grants um specifically the ones for um renewable energy and and uh 
innovative building. So it's going to be a, it's a historic green rehabilitation uh-huh. uh, of the building. And we've gotten out of several grants from different sources because we're, we're both in the green and historic. And the New York State is actually very good with a lot of their um, renewable and green infrastructure grants, but they're also very good with preservation of historic buildings. Mm-hmm. But then we've also gotten little grants from um, the Creative Economy Economic Development Councils who offer spaces, little upgrade opportunities so that they can expand their audience, et cetera. So we're embarking on a two-year physical transformation of the building, right as my daughter is embarking into her, like, turning 12 the next year. So it's very, very synchronized and weird. (laughs) Oh, So by the time we are, like, pristine Tesla battery storage, tons of um, heating and cooling in this big, dusty old factory, Uh, you know, it's going to become airtight and just beautiful and Um, much more um, conducive to like museum grade Mm -hmm. stuff right now we're really we do a lot of like um, it's a lot of music like the place is indestructible in a cool way because it's just Mm -hmm. steel brick concrete Um, but uh, it's going to be very different and uh, so will my daughter be when she's turning 12 and 13 so yes we're continuing to evolve with these two entities Um, Uh, But it's an exciting moment that we're really on a precipice of that. And as the building changes, uh, and I had always said that the building was the muse for all of our arts programming. So when we were focusing on art installations, musicians, and different kinds of conceptual music festivals, it would always be about what does the building want and what kind of art comes in and is enhanced by this building and what enhances the beauty of the building. and now it's evolving into the building as the teacher is that we want to um, be a learning center for uh, ecological, obviously climate action in that infrastructure is key. Getting off of fossil fuels is one of the most required actions to, to, to cap and contain and to hit some of these yes. uh, emission goals. So the building went from being a muse for art to a teacher in essentially social uh, science of, you know, we, we need to, as humans, take responsibility for our waste and our, our energy use and our buildings. And we want this inspiring building to be a, a learning opportunity, whether it's bringing, uh, doing, we're, we're exploring ability to do training uh, in the green trades, historic green trades of local uh, underserved citizens who are not going to college or getting or finding pathways to real jobs. Right now, the Hudson Valley is very kind of service industry, tourist-based economies, which is, as everyone knows, not really good, long, sustainable jobs. And then a lot of people uh, in certain class or demographic are not getting those jobs. So we're um, developing a green trades program, uh, but we also see it as an opportunity of bringing high school students and youth through the building and showing them, because this building is impressive no matter what age you are or what. It's like, it is a vessel of remarkable engineering and architecture and design Mm. and materials. But then when you also then show them like this Tesla battery and these chargers and so that we're really excited about what the building can just become this sort of walking 
teaching. And then also that the humans who own and run the building felt the responsibility to do this because mm-hmm. climate change is going to affect all of us. Doesn't matter what class, what demographic, what race, where you are geographically. I mean, some of us will be luckier than others in terms of our geographic location. But this, you know, it is here, it is happening. And and uh, climate and social justice are completely aligned because obviously those who are rich enough to go into their bunkers with their supplies will, right. but those who are living on the edge of like waterfronts with industrial pollution and rising waters and not to mention all the third world countries around the world and all the, the migration that will be happening from all these inhabitable places. You know, this, so climate action is social action as well. And so that's, you know, the next decade for us is really um, allowing the building to tell that story. Uh, we obviously are both artists. We're both, we, we believe that the beauty and connectivity that art brings is essential to inspiring and communicating. But we also want to take it further into actual educational, uh, education about real, real time place and science and technology and the ripple effect it has on human cohabitating this planet. So that's the evolution for the, for Basilica. And it's a very, very different direction we're going in, but kind of amazing because we had an amazing decade of of our very unique programming. I'll give you a snapshot. One of our, my, my personal favorite uh, programs that we've, we do at the Basilica that kind of, change and ended with COVID in some ways is a 24-hour drone experiments and sound in music. It's a 24-hour immersive experimental music festival where we uh, create a tapestry of 24 hours of sound in the center of the building and uh, up to 600 people spend the 24 hours transforming with the the lights, with the sound, and with each other, and it's really one of my most favorite things I've ever been to, and one of the my favorite things that we host. But we've had to do it online for the last two years, which is not at all the same as sharing a space with um, hundreds of people. Um, but it's uh, but that's that is a unique thing. There's an, I, I've actually there's very few art centers I think in the world that are capable. A we don't have any neighbors. B we were kind of on the edge of town. We're very lucky that way. We're not in the union, you know, doing, doing a right. union job of 24 hours is insane. Um, all that is that, but there's a lot more arts and culture, especially since New York City COVID exodus, like so many people in the arts and big money and big infrastructure. Arts are booming up here. When we came here, we really were one of the most <laughs> progressive conceptual art centers in the whole area. Um, There was not a lot of this outside of New York City. Um, So we're also sensing just like, well, times are changing. There's like little indie art centers everywhere. There's big money museum things opening everywhere. We don't really have to carry that anymore. We want to go to this next place, which is how do you connect people and the planet um, in a place that has made its mark with its historic beauty but also it's avant-garde art programming in the last decade so that's been my my current sort of um exploration of 
this project. And I'm really, really excited about it because it's brand new territory as well. I'm not in education. I'm not in community engagement. or That's not where my background is at all. Uh, so it's exciting because we get to partner and outsource to people who come from from a more altruistic uh, place of engagement, community education, science, technology. You know, the arts is often seen, as we all know, as a, a luxury to, to people. You know, it's like, a, you know, those who do not have time to <laughs> explore arts, culture, entertainment. Um, it's a very, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's exciting for me to, to shift from an arts background and from an arts center into a more place for the people and all people. Well, in that beautiful statement of like location as teacher, I was thinking about the book Braiding Sweetgrass and like how that ties to what you're yeah. talking about in the same location of even like tying back to like, where are you and how does that inform you and how we all, <laughs> actually a line from Wet Hot American Summer of we are all, we're all on spaceship earth <laughs> like mm-hmm. and that you know to accept the responsibility for our actions is not in a punitive way where it's like yes we do need to accept the responsibility of the actions of industrialization but also in accepting that we can accept the responsibility for actions to heal like that it's like yes exactly it's yeah. It's not, yeah it's not like just bonking people in the head with a stick because that makes people hopeless um and so using, yeah. using art and location and inspiration to help people actually help the planet we're living on, um, as opposed to shaming. And inspire them to, you yeah. know, like it's inspiring them of like, look how cool and creative this is. What a yeah. cool thing. This old factory, we reclaimed it. And if you like just seal up the cracks and bring in this technology, all of a sudden you're like not burning fossil fuels, but people can gather in it. Yeah, it's a very exciting way to like, teach how you can connect and not make this outrageous, daunting thing, which is climate catastrophe, oh. a thing that just shuts people down, you know, because people are just shutting down because it's terrifying because you think you can't do anything. But I've been sort of musing with like this idea of like how the arts, creativity and climate resolving or climate healing can, it's like making your compost bin like an a ritual act of love making you know sounds out of industrial scrap like just like this idea of like making your life uh, a ritual by being aware of how you spend your energy how you you know it's becoming almost like a conceptual yeah. art if you let it be uh, be that <laughs> yeah. so I've been trying to figure out how to like tell that story too of of conceptual uh well, basically, creative practices and creative minds can help combat climate crisis. It can. Like, literally, if we take that energy of these these things that you and I were talking about, of receiving and morphing and, and, um, and changing your, your, your world around you based on what it needs. I mean, if we all tapped in like that, we would just naturally start curbing our habits. You know, we would be... Yeah. And that should be part of like a beautiful act of change, not a compromise. Da, da, da. You know, I mean, of course, I understand people like to travel. People need to drive. There's all these. But if, if you change, if you put your mind to it, maybe you won't want to travel and drive so much if you're thinking and feeling the consequence. 
it's like all has to start in a creative mindscape, really. Yes. And to create different ways of doing things and to spend time. I love that you said like living life as a creative ritual where it's like at each turn, you can Mm -hmm. be, you can make a choice and you can actually be mindful of that choice. And it doesn't mean that all of your choices have to have some sort of level of virtue to them, but like exactly to have an awareness around them. And so if you do choose to fly somewhere, like choose wisely and judiciously. Yeah. (laughs) And and then like even counterbalance it, you know, not with shame and guilt or whatever, but like then do something on the other side that is an act of like preservation or, you know, kind of like, yeah, it's just being aware of our impacts. Just like we need to be aware of what other people's feelings in the way that we you know, <laughs> navigate the world. Like yeah. you don't want to hurt people's feelings. You want to try to be a good person. doesn't mean, you know, unless you're like raised in like a shame-based culture, but if you're just raised in a decent human being way, you will naturally sort of just align with a more harmonious way to live on this planet. Yeah. It's much someone asked me where my positivity came from. I was at a, I was at an outdoor gathering talking about psychology and mm-hmm. polyamory and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, like one does when one lives in Los Angeles. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was like the scans. Um, but it was funny. Cause like I'd, uh, I'd gone in the house to use the restroom and then I was walking out and, uh, this person said, you just have such positivity about you. And they were like, you seem genuinely like engaged and joyful. And like, it was, it was a lovely thing for someone to say to me, but they said, how do you do that? And I paused. Cause I was like, I was like, what? I was just, I, it was an unusual question. Right. Never. And, yeah. and I just said, I was like, well, you know, of course, negative things happen. Of course, stressful things happen. Like, of course there are things that, you know, affect me. But it takes so much more energy to be mean or to be shut down yeah. or to be spiteful. I was just like, it is my natural tendency, I guess, to be positive and joyful. Um, and I was just like, I, I hadn't thought about it, though. Um, and it's definitely it's that where it's just like, if you start on that path, it, it feels good. So you keep doing it. <laughs> like that it, it doesn't be yeah. this choice of like time to be nice to people <laughs> like <laughs> it just yeah, no I know I, I have to say that too in my years in the rock bands just so much like darkness and depression and um competition and I always used to just say it's so much easier to be nice than mean I don't understand where they where how that where they get that energy from (laughs) yeah but I do think it's it's also again a matter of how you're raised and our energy and and positivity or light was preserved growing some people don't have that luck of the draw and they have terrible things that happen to them when they're young and it taps the resource um yeah so it's showing them like hey here's more resource we can help you out (laughs) like come over here yeah. we have I just thought of by the way my brain was like oh my gosh we get to have a bat mitzvah for the basilica and I was like what a weird thought Pam ah. <laughs> <laughs> a good idea yeah I know I have I'm two percent uh according to 23 and me two percent Jewish <laughs> Not for me I guess I <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. You've been so generous with your time. I just wanted to thank you for that, for talking about all of this. Pleasure. Totally lovely to have um, open, open, free range conversation about um, from the abstract to how, how easy it is to see the beauty in the light and uh, make things a creative problem to solve versus a reactive thing to fight against. Change is good. Yeah. Change is frightening and we love it. (laughs) Yes. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode.